Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, warmer days remind us of fond summer memories. Now, you can make those moments year-round with a Michael Phelps swim spa by our friends at Master Spas, and that combines the leisure of a hot tub with the exercise benefits of a pool. Now, Master Spas technology is incredible with LED lighting, beautiful waterfalls, and those super powerful water jets installed in just one day. You're going to love it. Proudly made in America. Use the promo code Hannity in the upper right-hand corner. That's masterspas.com for up to $1,000 off. You can exercise, relax, recover with the only hot tub and swim spa brand I trust, masterspas.com. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. If you're like me and suffer from insomnia, you know what? That's not fun. You know, I tried everything. I couldn't get a good night's sleep. And this is neither drug nor alcohol induced. That's right. It is my pillow. Mike Lindell invented it. And he fitted me for my first my pillow. And it's changed my life. I fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer. And the good news, you can too. Just go to MyPillow.com, promo code Sean, and take advantage of one of Mike Lindell's best offers. His special four-pack, you get 50% off to MyPillow premium pillows to go anywhere pillows. Now, MyPillow's made in the USA, has a 60-day unconditional money-back guarantee, no risk to you, and a 10 year warranty. You don't want to spend more sleepless nights on a pillow tossing and turning that's not working for you. Just go to MyPillow.com right now. Use the promo code Sean and you get Mike Lindell's special four-pack. You get two MyPillow premium pillows, two go-anywhere pillows, 50% off, and you'll start getting the kind of peaceful and restful and comfortable and deep-healing and recuperative sleep you've been craving and deserve. MyPillow.com, promo code Sean. All right, glad you're with us. 85 days to go. Yeah, it's getting real. I know a lot of you are on your summer break vacations. And I guess uh, if you're the rich and famous and wealthy, you're hanging out at Martha's Vineyard. I wonder if anyone on Martha's Vineyard listens to this program or Nantucket or the Hamptons or any such places. You know, by the way, I don't have a problem with anyone going to these places at all. You know, I just it's not the place I hang out, but uh you know, maybe I should try it and see if it's fun. Maybe I'll run into Alec Bowler, Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. Oh, yes. Oh, those smelly Trump people in Walmart. Oh, I can smell them now. They're, oh, it's disgusting. It's despicable. It's disgraceful. Clinging to their God, their guns, their Bibles, their religion. They are just irredeemable deplorables. I can smell them. How can you smell somebody? I smell the Trump voters. But don't worry. We're going to stop him. Well, Peter Strzok is back in the news. Maybe we should tweet um, Strzok 
Send out a tweet to Mr. Strzok because he has a new Twitter account. And uh, welcome him to Twitter and welcome, invite him on the program. Maybe we should remind him as we reminded Jim, his former boss, that everything he says can and will be used against him. Maybe we can do all of that. Um, a lot of news was made because I wasn't here on Friday. And Jay Seculo and Rudy Giuliani, both of both have filled in on my radio program in years past. Both have been guest hosts. What? How was the show Friday? I, it wouldn't be a vacation if I listened to the show, but I had a vacation day. They were stunning. They were wonderful. They were wonderful. Good time. Did you notice all the news about it? I didn't hear a peep. My nose. Uh, my, so no, my, quiet. Yeah, my phone started blowing up. And by the way, you know, to the rest of your staff that you say is your staff, uh, it's very interesting. Well, do you want to deal with the day-to-day administrative? No. By all means, dear, I'll pass it on to you. All means, dear? Really? Dear? Dear. You sound like Andrew Nobody Palmer. needs seven bullets, bullets to, to kill, kill a deer. deer. We have that one there, Jason. I think it's probably one of the classic hits. You look at the ads in New York. All he's doing is running in... Uh, against the NRA in New York. That's all it's he's... simple. No one hunts with an assault rifle. No one needs 10 bullets to kill a deer. A deer. He thinks he's going to be president one day. Deer, you're not going to be president. He literally made it so you, if you had a gun permit in New York, which is nearly impossible to get, and you had a clip, you had to take three bullets out of your, your clip. And they forgot to exempt police officers. Oh, yeah. Another another brilliant move, but then that eventually was rescinded, if I'm not mistaken. At some point, I put the other three bullets back in my clip. That's all I remember. Um, but it's ridiculous. I'm going to tell you, the, the, this is where the hard left wants to take the country. I'll get back to Peter Strzok in a minute. Now, I don't know how many of you watched all weekend, as I did. So they're supposed to have this rally over the weekend by these, you know, these racist, nationalist, KKK-sympathizing morons. And it was widely publicized. It was all over the place. So I figured, uh uh-oh, this isn't... And then they said there was going to be a counter-protest. So 30 of these morons show up. 30. That's it. And what shows you, you know, this is what frustrates me in election years. Every election year, every Republican is racist. Every conservative is racist and sexist and misogynistic and... And they're Islamophobic, xenophobic, homophobic. They want dirty air and water, and they want to kill children and throw granny over the cliff. They say it every single election season. That card gets played, every one of them. Old versus young, rich versus poor, uh, black versus white. They divide this country every election. But also, at some point, we've got to examine what works and what doesn't work. I'm not a conservative because I think conservatism is a is a philosophy that I need to adhere to for political reasons. It's because conservatism is its foundations are rooted in the most liberty and the most freedom and the most reliance on the individual and not the state. It's not any more complicated than that. And when you look at the practical application of being a conservative, conservatism works every time it is accurately applied. It works economically. It works in the concept of peace through strength, trust but verify. It just works. You know, there's a reason in 2016 I went over every single solitary failure of eight years of Obamanomics. 
eight years of Obama's presidency, because on every level, on every measure, it was a failure. I love now, you know, we're nearly two years into the election of Donald Trump, and you have these pundits that go on TV shows and say, well, the only reason Trump's doing good is because of eight years of Obama. I'm like, no, that's not why we're doing good, because we reversed course from the from the disastrous results of Obama. You got the tax cuts. That's helping the men and women, the working class in this country. We got a president that is getting rid of burdensome regulation. That's helping businesses build factories and manufacturing centers and create jobs. We went from the lowest labor participation rate to the highest labor participation rate from the 70s to now. We're looking at 4 million new jobs, millions fewer on food stamps. We're looking at real tangible results for the forgotten men and women of America. Conservatism actually works. We see it on foreign policy. Yeah, okay, we're not bowing and and dropping cargo planes full of cash and other currencies on the doors of dictators that chant our death, death to America, and burn our flag. And we're telling little rocket man, fire and fury, our button's bigger than yours, and by the way, you better not mess with the United States. Okay, well, rockets aren't being fired over Japan. The remains of those from the 1953 are coming home. We now see massive, you know, um, uh, we have hostages released. We have all sorts of good things happening. It's not going to ever be perfect. You know, I watched this weekend, back to the rally for a second. There's nobody in America, the American people are good people. The American people are fundamentally good people. They understand, they understand human nature and goodness versus evil, I think, better than anyone else on earth. America has been the single most generous country to other peoples. You know, my friend Barry Farber would always say there's never been a country in American history that has accumulated more power and abused it less than the United States. I've kind of altered it. There's never been a country that has accumulated more power and advanced the good of the human condition more than the United States of America. Is America perfect? Nope. Do we have these uh, ignorant people like the 30 people that showed up in D.C. this weekend or going back to Charlottesville or wherever else these people march and protest and nobody cares and nobody shows up? Uh, Yeah, we do have ignorant people. Do we have crazy people like Louis Farrakhan? Yeah, we got these racist and anti-Semite. Do we have... Yeah, but it's not the majority of the American people. The American people are good. You know, the American people, you get to their core fundamental beliefs, doesn't matter, Republican, Democrat, they have a belief that we are blessed by God, created equal in his image. All races are equal across the board, men and women as well. That's how people think. And that most people just have simple you know, they want their piece of the American dream. Nice house, safe neighborhood, good school for their kids, a decent car to drive. Uh, they want to be able to take their kids to Disney before they're seven and never go back again because it's miserable. And they want, you know, they want to be able to take a vacation. They they want to be able to occasionally go out to dinner and take care of themselves in their old age and not be dependent on the government. That's it. Government gets in the way. Liberalism gets in the way. And that's why this election, I keep going back to what do Democrats want to do if they keep if they get back the gavel and Nancy Pelosi becomes speaker. They want to impeach the president, but they have effectively silenced everybody in the Democratic Party from stating it publicly. 
And Nancy Pelosi and Elizabeth Warren refer to the tax cuts as crumbs. It's amazing they both want the crumbs back so desperately, and they have stated so. They want to get rid of the tax cuts. Well, that all that's going to do is tax America back into oblivion. All they want to do is this burdensome regulation. So you can't build a factory. You can't build a manufacturing center. Well, because it's going to produce a carbon emission of some sort. And we stop all progress. And what do other countries do? They create environments and they steal our billions and trillions of dollars from our companies that would create American jobs and they're abroad. Obama thrown up his hand, said those jobs ain't never coming back. They're coming back now. You know, so I'm watching all of this and then they want to keep Obamacare. We can't be that stupid to go backwards that way. Keep your doctor, keep your plan, pay less. Didn't work out. They want to stop these investigations. You know, I'm watching the Antifa people all weekend. Now, you do have all these lunatics covering their faces I saw all weekend. By the way, you know, that bothers me that everyone now protests in a mask. It's kind of scary. You know, it's like we see these images in Europe. We see these images in the Middle East of people protesting, and they've got on... You know, like a, an, a, a bandana, they're covering their face. And I'm looking, this is happening right here at home. That's not the first time. We can go back to the 60s and we can see that footage. I'm not saying that America's always gotten along and that America hasn't had its trials and tribulations. We fought a civil war for crying out loud. But, you know, I'm watching these Antifa people chanting, no borders, no wall, no USA at all. Listen, and then we asked, and those people ask, well, if Donald Trump was here, what would you do? Listen. Uh, we are asking people what they would do if President Trump were to show up at this march. Some of the answers have been pretty stunning. Uh, here they are. What would you do if Donald Trump showed up at the front? Murder him? Murder him for the people? How about you, man? Man, I'll tell Trump to get on the, f- on the floor and scrub those toilets himself because he doesn't know how to f- clean. He needs to learn. He needs to learn how to clean, scrub some toilets. Yeah. I mean, yo, he's America's Caesar, except he's a So you gotta take him down. Trump. 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 If it came down to it and it was a group effort, we'd have to do him like Gaddafi. Like Gaddafi? Yeah. What would you do if Donald Trump showed up? Yeah, no, I'm a wild out. I'm You'd wild out? Yeah. Yeah. You come up? Yeah. Right. If I get no, a tattoo, no, no, no. I would do that. What's that? If I get a tattoo, him up, I would. Chance to him up, you would. Yeah. yeah. How about you? What would you do? I would just, I'd smack him. Smack him? Yes. I would smack the <laughs> out of him, son. Like that? Like, for real. Yeah. All right. How about you, sir? I'd smack him, too. But it'd be like a pimp slap. Pimp slap? Not a pimp slap. If the president showed up at this march, what would you do, sir? Beat his ass. Beat his ass? If Trump showed up today, what would you do, sir? I'd throw Adam. You throw a bell at him? Yeah, why not? All right. What would you say? Tell him to f- off. <laughs> All right. What, what's that shirt say? Trump is a off. I'd piss on his leg. What's that? I'd piss on his leg. goes out here, I would tell his wife to go home and for him to get on his jet and get the f- out of here. Get the f- out of here? Yeah. And Melania to get out of here too? Yeah, because, you know, he, he, um, he hates everybody, but he forgets his wife is uh, an immigrant too. Um, I wouldn't say anything, because if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Well, at least that person was reasonable. Where does all this, where are they getting this violent rhetoric from? Oh, I guess maybe 
Madonna that dreams of blowing up the White House, Robert De Niro that wants to punch the president in the face, and actors Johnny Depp uh, talk about when's the last time a Hollywood actor killed the president. And with this kind of inspiration, I will go and take Trump out tonight. Tonight. And yes. Getting their faces. I have thought. All right, we'll get back to this thoughts. in a minute, but it is, you see, it's spreading. It's a cancer. What you saw this weekend was cancer. And that is that the, what is it called? Antifa? Everyone's saying on TV, Antifa. It used to be Antifa. When did that show up? Did you notice it too? It's Antifa. I'm like, all right, whatever. Antifa. What, they're just, they're maniacs. And they're dangerous. I'm going to call them Aunt Aoife, just for just. I'm for not giggles. talking to you, and nor am I talking to your crew. Didn't tell me it was your birthday this weekend. Oh, God. I would have given you a present. And you, how many years ago was it that you bought the timeshare in Mexico that you only went to once? How many years? That we can figure out how old you are. Just be quiet. Just be quiet? That's my job to talk. It's called being a radio your talk Your job show is host. to do your read right now. You're not doing that very well. All right. Well, I'm talking about Black Rifle Coffee, and you agree with me on this. Yeah, the, you could have got me that for my birthday, but did you? Well, you get Black Rifle Coffee because we send it to you every month. Because Could have put a bow on it. Oh, good grief. You know what? I'm not getting you anything. The heck with that. You're a pain in the neck, you know, attacking me this way. I'm watching the news media today, and to the extent they are ignoring the things that have been said over the weekend, it's, it's fairly predictable. Just like they're ignoring, I noticed, you know, a lot of the Me Too Democrats have been totally silent as uh, apparently, you know, that means Kirsten Gillibrand and other Democratic Me Too movement people uh, and not particularly rushing to the microphones in light of uh, Minnesota Public Radio saying Keith Ellison, you know, one of the leading candidates to be Minnesota's next attorney general was confronting allegations over the weekend of domestic abuse of a former girlfriend that surfaced days before the election that will decide the party's nominee. The AP pointed out uh, this first saying that the allegation surfaced on Saturday night after his son alleged in a Facebook post he had seen hundreds of angry text messages from Ellison and some threatening his mother. The question is, would they treat this differently if it was a Republican candidate? And we already know the answer. Yes. You know, when people chant no borders, no wall, no USA at all, and they're threatening violence against the president, you'd think that would be big news. Well, apparently it's not on your so-called nation's newscast. All right, we got a lot of Peter Strzok news to get to. When we get back, we got Sarah and Greg, big developments and more straight ahead. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. All right, before I move on to all this Peter Strzok news, and he has a new Twitter account, and uh, the news of the day, and he's been fired, and this is a big deal, and it's everything we've said. And I know a lot of you are questioning, well, wh- where are the criminal referrals that are going to lead to the indictments of Comey, McCabe, Clinton, Strzok, and all these other people? And I'm sitting here watching and waiting with you, and we, you know, none of you would ever get away with any of the things they got away with. None of you would get away with the Espionage Act violations of Hillary just ask Christian Saucier. None of you would get away with the deletion of subpoenaed emails and the bleach bit and the busting up of devices. It wouldn't happen. None of you would get away with lying to FISA court judges and purposely withholding vital information from judges uh, in an effort to purposely mislead a court to get a warrant for political purposes. Anybody involved in that should be in legal jeopardy. 
None of you would ever get away with rigging an investigation with one candidate and then turning the guns and power of the government on another candidate, which all has happened. And a lot of you are sitting here saying, well, what about the trial of the century? What about the Amarosa tapes? I know that's where the media's fixation is today, and I know the battle and the back and forth. And, you know, how many people have said that Amarosa uh, didn't even, I'm, I'm shocked that the publisher allowed this thing to go out. I'm shocked that somebody can tape inside the Situation Room. I'm frankly stunned that somebody can tape the President of the United States and release it. And I don't know, maybe we need to think about those laws. And, uh, yeah, there's been, we did have allegations. What was it, James Patterson or a bunch of people that were on this show over the years saying the Clintons had done similar. This is not the first time the, the crazy things get sent out. And... But I was shocked that, you know, Frank Luntz and all these people lining up, Katrina Pearson and others and, you know, saying, uh, you never called me because I never said that. And I don't believe that. And that's not true. Um, you know, I mean, we could go back in time and, you know, if anybody cared to look at, I remember back in the Hannity and Combs days, back in, you know, 1999. You know, Arkansas, Arkansas State Trooper Larry Patterson, Dolly Kyle Brent, they made similar allegations against the Clintons, specifically against Bill and Hillary Clinton, and nobody in the media seemed to play it up to the degree that it's being played up here. But it's neither at this point is, I think the bigger issue is, how are you taping these people? Unbelievable. I knew Amorosa, got along with her, I liked her. Had an opportunity of a lifetime. I'm not sure what it is that General General Kelly seems to be acting very professional and just saying that, you know, that there are some severe issues in play here. I'm, I'm not even going to venture a guess at what they are or what happened. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. And the fact that she talked to the president, the president didn't know about it at the fact, but that doesn't, for some people, maybe it surprises you, but I don't do most of the hiring and firing of my staff. I'm, first of all, people don't get fired. You, you really, to get, why are you laughing? Anybody that works for me, you end up firing yourself. I don't have to fire you because you will get so many opportunities to correct course. And eventually you fire yourself. If you just keep, you know, if you, don't, if you double down on doing the wrong thing constantly, you don't make the adjustments that are needed. Maybe you're not cut out for the job, but, that, but I have a staff that stays with me forever. But, you know, I, I don't do the hiring on this show. That's Linda's job. Good luck. Now everyone will start sucking up to her more. You know, and the same at TV. I do not. I, I will meet the people. I will say hello and I'll check in and then I'll look at resumes and I'll talk to the person. If I don't see a red flag, it's not my I won't make the decision. I just say, all right, that's your job. I hired you, the top people, and then I let the those people then hire the people that they think are going to best work for them. I'm not a micromanager in that sense. Um, so maybe surprising to some people, I don't think it's surprising that the president didn't know. Well, how could how many people work in the White House? I'm sure he makes the decision on he does make the decision on the top people, and the top people then make their decisions from there. And you know there was a lot of chaos going on at that, that particular time. Um, so the FBI agent Peter Strzok, uh, has now been fired and his lawyer is claiming that this is unfair 
et cetera. Why it's so unfair, I don't particularly know, but he's been fired. Um, knowing that he was the one that, well, he was writing the exoneration to Hillary long before Hillary's investigation. He was at the heart of interviewing Michael Flynn and Hillary Clinton, and he was writing the exoneration to Hillary, and he was at the beginnings and the heart of this whole Russia witch hunt. It's kind of amazing to me that he got to hang in there so long, and he's the one that was texting back and forth with Lisa Page, of whom he was having an affair with, that we're going to stop this and we have an insurance policy and every which name and sideways that they can call the president and clearly politicizing his job and why he's so shocked over this is kind of shocking to me. And, um, you know, this is now a long line of people at the FBI that have been fired. And at, and I, I don't know when we're ever going to get to the, the point in this where there are going to be people because we know crimes were committed that are going to be indicted in all of this. You know, you have the two most anti-Trump senior law enforcement officials in the Obama administration, both of whom played pivotal roles in starting this whole Russiagate witch hunt investigation, you know, regularly consulting with each other about how the how politically sensitive and the probe should proceed and what the timeline even of the probe is. And now it's one of them is the now fired Peter Strzok. The other was Bruce Orr who was busy meeting with Christopher Steele, as we've been now reporting for two weeks. Anyway, in his testimony under oath last month, the former FBI counterintelligence chief, Peter Strzok, remember he was telling lawmakers that Bruce Orr provided the FBI with a variety of copies of Steele's phony Russian dossier that the agency ultimately obtained, but Orr was not happy, was not the, it was not Orr's first copy of this. And Strzok testified that in late 2016, early 2017, he, or and others spoke as many as five times about operational and investigative matters. Strzok didn't offer any specifics, insisting the FBI preclude him from providing further details about an ongoing investigation. And, of course, Orr's wife, Nellie Orr, was working at Fusion GPS. They're the ones that got the Perkins Coie law firm money that was funneled by Hillary and the DNC. They created the phony dossier. They're the ones that brought on Christopher Steele, a foreign spy. He's the one that gave us the foreign sources. We know of an effort to totally, completely bombard the American media and the American people with these lies in order to influence an election. And then it became the bulk of the evidence that was used to obtain the FISA warrants. So, I mean, when you pay very close attention to this, it's getting really scary. Here's the most interesting development on a personal front today. You have Strzok reacting to his firing on a newly created Twitter account saying he's deeply saddened by the decision. And uh, it was an honor to serve my country and work with the fine men and women of the FBI. There are fine men and women at the FBI. As a matter of fact, the overwhelming vast majority, 99, 8% of them are amazing people. And most of the people that I talk to can't stand what people like McCabe and Strzok and Orr and others were doing. And they all have told me off the record, as I have my sources, yeah, talk show hosts have sources. They do real reporting and investigative work, something the mainstream media doesn't do. But we include opinion along with our work, which puts us in a different category. So I don't say, well, well, you're a journalist. Well, we do journalism. We do investigative reporting. We do opinion. We do everything. We're basically the whole newspaper. They're just one aspect of the newspaper. 
Anyway, it's been my honor to serve my country and the fine men and women of the FBI. And then he linked to a GoFundMe page set up to raise money on his behalf. Anyway, Strzok's lawyer said in a statement, the FBI's deputy director decided to fire Strzok despite a recommendation from the Bureau's personnel division that he be suspended for just 60 days and demoted. Now, the FBI's Office of Professional Responsibility investigating Strzok over the anti-Trump text messages that he sent while working on the investigation. If How can we trust the FBI? Seriously. If you've got one guy that's at the heart of the investigation into Hillary... His favorite candidate, he's the one that interviews her. He's writing her exoneration months before interviewing her and other key witnesses, which I've never heard of before. Three days later, she's exonerated by the person that was co-authoring that exoneration, which was James Comey. And, you know, the same guy that's sending out Trump's an idiot, Trump's this, Trump's that. We're going to stop Trump from becoming president. Oh, and we have a insurance policy. You know, I, I mean, I'm just sitting here. And then you look at the people, by the way. Have you noticed the people that he's following here? Uh, let's see. John Brennan, former CIA director. Top uh, administration of Obama officials. Let's see. Ben Rhodes is being followed. Matt Miller is being fired. Noticeably absent was James Comey. He might be mad at Comey. You know what happens? You know, if you watched him when he was testifying, he thought he was a super patriot. He thought he knew better than we did. He couldn't believe we, the smelly Walmart people, would actually vote for Donald Trump. Just tell you, you cannot, the level of arrogance and contempt is breathtaking, but it was real. And now we find ourselves in the position we now find ourselves in, which is sad on so many different levels. Uh, We have some other news here. Um, There was, by the way, this weekend violence. So, you know, the one-sided coverage of the fake news media all weekend they kind of ignored what we have played you just walk into a crowd full of, of these antifa people and the the number of people that will say they want to commit an act of violence against the president is just breathtaking but sadly it's real you know but you've got the daily caller police journalists even random bystanders becoming targets of their rage as the group claimed to be standing up against the hate of white supremacists Seemed to be more of an anti-Trump rally than anything else. You know, the footage that the Daily Caller showed, of which some of which we played in the last half hour, protester punching a man repeatedly in the face. Another man had been hit off camera by demonstrators. You have a reporter for NPR capturing footage of these masked Antifa protesters launching fireworks and water bottles and eggs at police officers. And Breitbart picked up some... Some video footage as well. Some of these activists attacking drivers trying to make their way through the streets of D.C. One activist shouting, let him go before we wreck that bleep. We got an NBC reporter documenting attacks on journalists in Charlottesville. Left-wing demonstrators trying to block and grab this guy from NBC, Cal Perry's camera. News media becoming targets in this whole thing. The Toronto Sun putting out there that another group of Leftists, you know, followed us uh, to a, to disgrace whatever, blah, 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 chanting Sue so-and-so, she's a racist. And it got very ugly this weekend. I don't see any of it running on TV today. I guess, you know, that's why we do a different show, and that's why I guess they're just pretty much the mouthpieces of all things Democrat and whatever. 
Anyway, 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. Um, you know, these are very scary times. I had a meeting with somebody today who I really like a lot. and This person's in the movie business. It so happens. But my observation, very smart individual. I won't mention his name or, you know, the projects he's involved in. But, I mean, he's they're thinking about, you know, really redoing how the entire movie industry works. And I think at this moment in history, I think... All right, you can only make so many Spider-Man, Batman, Superman movies. You can only make so many movies, you know, of Jennifer Aniston getting married. It's a different guy every movie, but I mean, or having a boyfriend or Drew Barrymore. There's only so many times you can do those movies. And there seems to be a content void. There's only so many Mission Impossibles, I guess you can do, or James Bond movies. I mean, I like them. I prefer Jason Bourne over those movies, though, my own personal taste. And I do think, you know, if you look at the amount of money Netflix and Hulu and Google and all these other companies are throwing into the content business, I think the American people are calling out for better and better content and products. And I think there's, an, you know, Hollywood has missed the boat. In my opinion, we're watching the golden age of Hollywood just drop dead right before our eyes. You don't need Hollywood anymore to make a movie. My first foray into this kind of proved that. What do I know about the movie business? Nothing. I just knew that the message was good. All right. Struck uh, is fired, which is a good thing. We've got Sarah Carter, Greg Jarrett next. We have the latest on the, is it Antifa or Antifa? Did you notice the weekend the same thing? All of a sudden the name changed. They, they do this with everything. It's just to annoy us, I think. You think they do it on purpose? Yeah. Why else would they do it? Change the name after a year? Yeah, and I notice some people now are saying Peter Stroke has been struck the whole time. You know, I get one pronunciation, except but to this day I can't figure out is it Rod Rosenstein or Rosen I don't know. Never got Well, he did say that he's fine with it being said both ways. He did say that. And I'm sure he loves it when I say it either way. He can't stand the the sound of my voice like a lot of people on the left, which is fine with me. I don't care. I don't care anymore at all. Doesn't matter. Uh, we've got the Antifa protest tape we're going to get to, and uh, Amarosa fired. And, you know, when are these people going to get indicted? we got a lot of ground to cover. A lot of news is breaking, and we'll get to it all. It's the Sean Hannity Show. 800-941-SEAN is our number. All right, glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. Glad you're with us. By the way, one amazing thing heading into... You know, the election in 85 days is a Gallup finds most Democrats now prefer socialism to capitalism. But why would that be any surprise to anybody? At the bottom of the half hour, we'll get into all of the the violence and insane rhetoric from this weekend. We'll get to all of that. We got the firing of FBI agent Peter Strzok. One asked the question, uh, what took you so long? You got Peter Strzok now reacting to the firing, creating a Twitter account and a GoFundMe page. He wants people to, I guess, fund his defense. And also we're seeing Washington Post reporting that Strzok is now apparently fighting his termination. I'm not sure under what guideline he would and saying it wasn't warranted. Uh, Devin Nunes, which is really interesting, the Washington Examiner points out, asked about Trump's uh, dossier author Christopher Steele and his ties now to Bruce Ord. Devin Nunes uh, said that, uh, in fact, his wife was working for Fusion GPS, who was working for the Clinton campaign. 
And then he says, so here you have information flowing from the Clinton campaign, from the Russians, which I believe was handed directly from the Russian propaganda arm to the Clinton campaign, then fed to the top levels of the FBI and the Department of Justice to open up a counterintelligence investigation into a political campaign that is now colluded with nearly every top official at the DOJ and FBI over the course of the last couple of years. Absolutely amazing. Joining us now is investigative reporter. She's been at the forefront of so much of this. Fox News contributor and uh, uh, Sarah Carter is with us. He has the number one book now, two weeks and running on the New York Times bestseller list. Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst. The book is The Russian Hoax, the illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump. Uh, Welcome uh, back to the program. Let's first talk about the news. Uh, We'll start with you, Sarah, as it relates to Mr. Strzok and his now GoFundMe page. And apparently you've been spending a lot of time this weekend. And this apparently is about to all take a turn for the worse, which I've been predicting now for some time that this is only a small portion of what we know. And you have some news on that. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. This is only a small portion, and this is why the congressional committees are so intently going after Bruce Orr and others and communications between McCabe and Peter Strzok. Also, there is apparently communications between Peter Strzok and Bruce Orr that people are now looking at and seeking more information on. Uh, Those have not been made public yet. So the concern here is about Peter Strzok, and he says he's going to fight the FBI on uh, his firing. I've spoken to a number of FBI agents, some who have lost their jobs, for much less who actually quit fighting the FBI, uh, who said they're just astonished that OPR would even suggest, that's the Office of Professional Responsibility, giving Peter Strzok 60 days of suspension for what he did. He violated every rule every aspect of the FBI and how the Bureau handles cases. And that's the reason why he was removed from Robert Mueller's special counsel. And and right now, this is probably one of the biggest problems Robert Mueller has on his hands right now. His case, because of Peter Strzok, because Peter Strzok led the investigation, his case right now is basically fruit of the poisonous tree. How is he going to be able to move forward with any kind of Trump-Russia collusion when all the people involved in the case have either been demoted, fired, or suspended? And these are the questions that Mueller is going to have to handle on the legal part. How many people now the FBI are we talking about, either fired, demoted, or whatever? We have the general counsel, James Baker. He was demoted. Uh, We have the firing of Andrew McCabe, Bill Priestep, people who have left. That was the second in command. We have others um, uh, inside the FBI that are now facing similar charges. It won't be long before uh, James Baker. You also have Strzok and Page and Comey. I mean, yeah, I mean, the list is getting been. These are all the top people. And then Bruce Orr. That's right. The entire seventh floor. And this is probably one of the biggest problems that the FBI has right now. And Christopher Wray, as much as he wants to try to protect the FBI and the Bureau from all of this backlash, he really needs to step forward now, come out and tell the American public what happened, and then move forward. I've not been particularly impressed with him. And, I mean, sometimes he says, you know, a lot of cliches and there's a lot of nicety in his speak. But I'll be honest, I mean, I am not that. I'm not that impressed, to be you know frank with you. And in terms of his desire to get to the bottom of this, 
when I speak to FBI agents and rank and file, the urgency in their voices and the outrage in their voices, I mean, is loud. It is it, it is loud and clear, and they're angry at all of this. Let's talk about this from the legal side. Uh, Greg Jarrett, congrats again on the success of the book. But, you know, we're sitting back and we're waiting and, you know, we hear people are fired or demoted or let go and they're going to fight their firing, et cetera. But we haven't heard about anybody being indicted or criminal referrals at this point. But the trial of the century on Paul Manafort keeps going on. <laughs> You're right. Peter Strzok's firing was long overdue. He was escorted from the FBI building two months ago and stripped of his badge. All you have to do is look at the inspector general's conclusion in which he said that Peter Strzok's communications with Lisa Page, quote, are not only indicative of a biased state of mind, but imply a willingness to take official action to impact a presidential candidate's electoral process, end of quote. So, uh, you know, I agree with, with Sarah completely. It's astonishing to me that the Office of Professional Responsibility only recommended a suspension and demotion. My goodness, that kind of conduct is deserving of termination immediately. But, uh, but everybody's uh, and- given me the same question. I happen to see a lot of people this weekend. And, yeah, we've been, at, we've been the tip of the spear, and everything we've reported has turned out to be true. And people can't believe this is the, the as, as Sarah just said, the seventh floor, the, you know, the infamous seventh floor, um, the most powerful people that we're talking about here with the worst conduct and behavior. And at what point people are asking, does this now cross the line into criminal and indictment territory? Because I think we've well passed that point. Well, it appears that Clinton was exonerated for purely political reasons, and uh, it was Peter Strzok who sat down at his computer and expunged the incriminating language from Comey's statement to absolve Clinton. So that would constitute the felony crime of obstruction of justice. And if Strzok was involved in using the fabricated, unverified dossier not only to investigate Trump, but to obtain the warrant to spy on his campaign, that's several felonies, including abuse of power, perjury, conspiracy to defraud the government, and obstruction of justice. There needs to be a uh, a grand jury that is convened to receive and review the evidence and render indictments. And this is the reason why, Sean, there has been such a big fight. Even Senator Lindsey Graham has called for a special counsel investigation. Everybody's been back and forth on whether or not that would be appropriate to have that because it could take years. But the thing is, there's nobody overseeing the investigators. The DOJ is the top of the food chain here. And unless somebody from the DOJ, like Greg says, appoints a grand jury, investigates this, who will pay for this? We don't even know. And right now, the inspector general's report, we're not even sure when that's going to come out. There is some talk now that it won't be out until next year. And, and that really has no teeth. So something needs to happen and somebody needs to be appointed. Well, I, 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 I listen and I hear what crimes have you identified, Greg, because we've gone over some of them as it relates to Comey and others. What are the crimes here? Well, as I as I mentioned, for Peter Strzok, it's obstruction of justice. If he sat down his computer and changed the language, clearing Clinton, and, and it was done for political reasons, and the evidence seems uh, fairly compelling, that's obstruction of justice. And, you know, he has insisted, Strzok, that he, oh, I had nothing to do, really, with the FISA warrant. Well, 
uh, he he was uh, front and center uh, using the unverified dossier, which was used for the warrant to spy. Uh, and not only that, never believe for a moment the canard that it was Papadopoulos bar talk that triggered the Trump-Russia collusion investigation. That was uh, a... Uh, a, a lie that was perpetrated on the New York Times to cover up the real reason for the investigation. The basis was the dossier. Now, the Papadopoulos bar talk makes no legal sense, no common sense, as I explain in the book. The dossier was used to launch the investigation. The FBI knew it was fabricated and phony. They didn't care. They were looking for an excuse, a pretense or pretext to launch the investigation to harm Trump. And, you know, that's an abuse of power. It's conspiracy to defraud. It's obstruction of justice. Well, let me ask you the legal point that Sarah was making about how this impacts Mueller at this particular point. And that is that, you know, I mean, all of these guys are connected to all of this, and all of this is connected to the Mueller investigation. What does that do? You know, if I'm the defense attorney, all of this is coming up in court to me. But every challenge that has been brought up specifically about uh, Mueller, whether or not he has jurisdiction, has been upheld by judges because of the broad mandate of Rod Rosenstein. That's right. Um, But there needs to be more challenges to the legitimacy or, as I write in the book, illegitimacy of the appointment of, of Robert Mueller. You know, if you read very carefully the federal regulations, it requires a specified crime. Look at the authorization order. There's no such thing in there. Uh, this is an investigation in search of a crime, which is backwards. And, and Sarah's right about evidence obtained improperly or illegally uh, by people like uh, Peter Strzok and, and James Comey and others. Under the exclusionary rule, which is bedrock law, anything illegally obtained is, uh, cannot be used as evidence. It's excluded. So one wonders, you know, what uh, Robert Mueller has obtained that hasn't been tainted by illegal conduct. Sarah, I mean, I know you're taking this to a different level tonight, and I know you've been working on a report all day, and you were kind enough to share it with me. To what extent can you tell us as it relates to Strzok and Strzok's bosses here? Well, we can just touch on the periphery. Um, One of the things that I did want to mention to you, Sean, which I thought was significantly important, hasn't been brought out in public before, was the communications that the Congress now has between Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele. In one of the emails, this part which has not been made public yet, uh, you know, Bruce Orr is basically uh, speaking to Christopher Steele back and forth in this exchange, and on September 16th, 2016, Before the election, there is one email in particular where he said, I'd like to see you again in person and therefore to coordinate diaries, coordinate, coordinate the information that they were collecting on President Trump. What does that say to you? They want to change the date of justice official is coordinating with a foreign spy to investigate an incoming presidential uh, candidate or president. What does that say? Let me get right back to you, and we'll ask Greg his take on it from a legal standpoint. Uh, At the bottom of the half hour, the outrageous statements uh, and threats of violence against the president over the weekend. We'll get to that. Kaylee McEnany, Jeff Lord, Ron DeSantis. uh, He now is pushing for the criminal referral process to begin, that which we're referring to now. All right, as we continue, Sarah Carter, Greg Jarrett. 
All right, Sarah, let's go back to uh, where we were and talk a little bit more about what's coming out and uh, how deep this is going to go. Well, I think there's a lot of questions about people that are still with the FBI and how this is being handled. There was a lot of concern among FBI agents and others about OPR, and that's the Office of Professional Responsibility and how things were handled there. You know, Candace Will, who heads OPR, uh, was a big supporter of Hillary Clinton. She was very close friends with um, Eric Holder at the DOJ. She formerly served with the Justice Department. And uh, according to a number of sources, she had campaigned actively for Barack Obama in 2012. So for a lot of people, this like basically just slap on the hand uh, to Peter Strzok was 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 more of a, a, a friendship uh, reaching out to Peter Strzok uh, was more of a way for Candace Will to let Peter Strzok go, to let him off the hook. And this is really enraging and angering a lot of people within the FBI. I think we need to know more about this. Why would they only give him, you know, why would they only ask for six 60-day suspension and a a demotion for such flagrant violations. Uh, Another thing is, who, and and I've asked this question over and over again, Sean, who was it that authorized Bruce Orr uh, to be a conduit for the FBI, and who at the FBI allowed that to happen? I mean, we have to look at maybe Peter Strzok's boss, you know, Bill Priestap. We don't hear anything about him, and we know that, you know, it wasn't just Strzok alone making these decisions. It was people like Bill Priestip. It was people above him like Andrew McCabe and others. And that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be focused a little bit on the people behind the scenes and how they were maneuvering and how they're playing this game. And I think a lot more information is going to be coming out about Peter Strzok, about his boss, Bill Priestip, and about Candace Will and, and others at OPR and how they've been handling the situation from, me, from the seventh floor. And Greg, really quickly, how will lawyers be able to somehow get all of this uh, misconduct into play as it relates to the Mueller investigation. We have about 30 seconds. Well, I have a copy of all of the emails and text messages between Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele, and they're quite revealing. Um, Even last August, a year ago, there's this uh, text message, uh, whenever convenient, we have to chat. Um, He talks about re-engagement. This is Christopher Steele with the Bureau and Robert Mueller. Unbelievable. It goes on and on. We'll have more on Hannity tonight. All right, the outrageous things said by Antifa this weekend. Next. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone. And remember Trey Gowdy and Peter Strzok? Let's go back and take a little trip down memory lane here. We learned that Agent Strzok has a most unusual and largely self-serving definition of bias. Agent Strzok, despite the plain language of his text and emails, despite the inspector general's report, and despite common sense, doesn't think he was biased. He thinks calling someone destabilizing for the country isn't bias. He thinks promising to protect the country from someone he hasn't even begun to investigate isn't bias. He thinks promising to stop someone he is supposed to be fairly investigating from ever becoming president isn't bias. He thinks talking about an insurance policy to keep someone from becoming president isn't bias. That's for one of the folks he was investigating. He has a different set of rules for others that he's investigating. Agent Strzok thinks saying someone he is allegedly investigating should be elected president 100 million to zero before he ever interviews her. He doesn't think that's bias. 
Agent Strzok thinks pronouncing someone innocent before bothering to interview more than 30 different witnesses isn't bias. He thinks claiming you can smell the Trump supporters isn't biased, but he doesn't say a single solitary word about being able to smell the support of any other candidate. To him, that isn't bias. Agent Strzok struggled to define bias for the better part of 10 hours. For the rest of us, bias is the prejudging of a person, a group, or a thing. It usually has a negative connotation, but it is a preconceived position or a prejudgment. It is the making up of your mind ahead of time based on anything other than the facts, and that is exactly what he did. Bias is saying Hillary Clinton should win the presidency 100 million to zero when she was still under investigation, wasn't even the nominee, hadn't been interviewed, and 30 other witnesses had also not been interviewed. In March of 2016, Agent Strzok had Clinton winning 100 million to zero, even though the investigation was far from being over. That is the prejudging of someone's innocence before all the evidence is in. Here's Strzok again, further debating uh, Trey Gowdy, and uh, you know, very pivotal testimony here. And remember, Lisa Page comes in after this and pretty much contradicting contradicting all of what he said. Here's what I want to know. Who's the he and he's not? He is then candidate Trump. So when you said, no, Donald Trump's not in, in connection with the question going to become president, what's the it? Chairman Gowdy, that text needs to be taken in the context. I, I'm, of I'm asking, look, if you want to have a debate over a two letter word, we're going to have to do that some other time. What and who did you mean by it? Mr. Gowdy, as I've stated, that text was written late at night in shorthand. I don't care when it was written. About. I don't care it's whether it was longhand, cursive. I don't care about any of that. I want to know what it meant, Agent Strzok. It would be his candidacy for the presidency. And my sense that the American it's, yeah, it's population not would not vote him into office. Right, right. Well, we hadn't gotten to the will yet. Well, I'm your, trying to, I'm your, trying your to cut the chase and explain the, the text. The I, will I is it. the American people. Is that right? That's your testimony. The will stop it. You were speaking on behalf of the American people. Is that correct? Mr. Gowdy, what my testimony is and what I said during extensive asking of this question during my prior interview is... I don't recall writing that text. What Are you I denying you, writing the text? What I can tell you is that text in no way suggested that I or the FBI would take any action to influence the candidacy Agent of Agent Strzok. That, that is a some... fantastic answer to a question nobody asked. Yep. You're saying it was the perception there are 13 Democrats on the special counsel probe, including one who went to what he hoped was a victory party. That's a perception problem, too. They weren't kicked off. You were. Why were you kicked off? Mr. Gowdy, I cannot speak to special counsel Mueller. How long did you talk to him? These reasons why he did or did How long did you talk to him when he let you go? Uh, witness answer the question. Witness will be afforded the opportunity. My recollection is it was a short meeting somewhere between 15 to 30 minutes, probably around 15 minutes. And your testimony is Bob Mueller did not kick you off because of the content of your text. He kicked you off because of some appearance that he was worried about. Sure. My testimony, what you asked and what I responded to was that he kicked me off because of my bias. I'm stating to you it is not my understanding that he kicked me off because of any bias, that it was done based on the appearance. If 
you want to represent what you said accurately, I'm happy to answer that question, but I don't appreciate what was originally said being changed. I don't give a damn what you appreciate, Agent Strzok. I don't appreciate having an FBI agent with an unprecedented level of animus working on two major investigations during 2016. All right, joining us now is, well, he's a Freedom Caucus member, congressman from the great state of Florida, gubernatorial candidate from Florida. Uh, our good friend Ron DeSantis is back with us. Now we also have Peter Strzok, uh, literally creating a new Twitter account and uh, saying that he's saddened that he was fired and by the FBI's decision uh, and says it was an honor to serve his country and work with fine men and women and then puts up a GoFundMe page set up to raise money on his behalf. Uh, we also see that he's following some pretty interesting people uh, like, oh, let's see. Ben Rhodes and, um, oh, the former CIA director during the Clinton years and others. What is your take on that? Well, I'll tell you, Sean, this is a welcome news that he's been fired. It's overdue. I think he should have been fired a long time ago. I mean, people would always ask me, why is he still getting a paycheck? And he shouldn't have been getting a paycheck. He has done incalculable damage to the institution of the FBI with his absolute rank bias, but then his willingness to employ that bias to, as he said, stop Trump from being elected or to have an insurance policy in case Trump got elected. And so this is uh, there could have been no other outcome other than this uh, to help restore confidence. we got a long way to go before we do that. But we're much better off that Peter Strzok's no longer an FBI agent. I don't know why anyone would want to do GoFundMe for him. McCabe did the same thing, may raise a lot of money. And it turned out. Uh, he's now been criminally referred. So I don't think Peter Strzok is out of the woods yet. Uh, personally, I think that he's out of the FBI, but I think he will be subject to further scrutiny. Well, I think so. But, you know, all these people up to this point, nobody has gotten charged with anything. I mean, we know what he and Comey did here. I know the inspector general report is ongoing, but, you know, it goes back to me with Clinton. Why did she never get indicted for what she did or the obstruction that she caused? How do you rig an investigation? How do you lie to a FISA judge? You know, I, I'm sitting back and I'm watching the trial of the century, the Manafort trial, and I'm thinking, well, if they got him for 2005, maybe we'll have to work, wait till the year 2025 until Hillary gets indicted or any of these top DOJ or FBI officials that abuse their power. Well, Sean, I mean, we have two separate standards right now in our country. The people who are part of the elite governing class just live under a different standard uh, than the rest of us. And that's why I think it's important that people like Strzok and Comey and McCabe be held accountable. I mean, you remember, I was the one that wrote the criminal referral. We got 15 other members of Congress to send a referral where we outlined all the potential charges and we asked Sessions to investigate. He did appoint this guy, Huber, from Utah uh, to look at this. Obviously, we've not seen any action yet. And uh, I think if you end up continuing with this, where even though we found out all these troubling facts, if nobody ends up facing any type of charges, I think the American people are going to just say, yep, that's just the way the system works. But if you're on the wrong side of where the ruling elite are, if you're a Michael Flynn or a Papadopoulos, man, they're going to do whatever they can to nail you to the wall. Uh, the lack of zealousness with some of these people that were high up in the government versus the overzealousness that has been displayed for anyone associated with Trump. Um, it's just a big gulf, and, you know, it's, it's irreconcilable, the different approaches. Well, I, and that's the point. It's like everybody's sitting back waiting, and on our side, they see what we've been able to prove. They see FISA abuse. 
You, you know, nobody would do what Hillary did expecting to get away with not being charged with obstruction. Nobody would set up a, a private email account, lie like she did about top secret classified information. Nobody in this audience, I think, would ever dare go before a judge and purposely withhold information the way that they did before a FISA judge. Now, we know the people involved, Sally Yates and Comey and Rod Rosenstein, and there are no, there are zero ramifications seemingly except that, okay, some people have retired, some people have been fired, some people have left on their own. But the bottom line is we're not getting anything. We're not getting, there's, well, it doesn't seem to be the justice. Well, think about uh, under Loretta Lynch and Comey, when you bleach bit emails that are under two congressional subpoenas, oh, we don't think that that's obstruction of justice somehow. They didn't even investigate it as obstruction of justice. And yet, if Donald Trump sends a tweet You'll have Bob Mueller saying that may be obstruction of justice. I mean, give me a break. If you ask the average American, bleach bidding evidence, is that obstruction of justice? Most Americans would say, yeah, it sounds like it to me. If you said a president firing somebody who he has the ability to fire, is that obstruction of justice? People would say, no, that's part of being president. Is tweeting. Well, by the way, James, James, say, of course not. James Comey admits for crying out loud that the president had an absolute authority to fire him for any reason. Exactly. And that's why this whole appointment from the beginning of Mueller was suspect. There was never a reason uh, to think that there was a crime committed, certainly by the president when he was in office. And that's why I've said, don't sit down with Mueller. I mean, I, I think it sets a bad precedent if you could have some inferior executive branch prosecutor basically conducting oversight over the elected president's decision-making. He was exercising his constitutional powers. He doesn't have to explain that uh, to Bob Mueller or anybody else. And if Congress, Congress can conduct whatever oversight they want, but he's the head of the executive branch. And so I, I, I think it's, it's bad for him to sit down in, in different ways. But I think for the institution of the presidency, I think it would weaken the presidency to subject himself to questions from Mueller like, what were you thinking when you defied Comey? It's none of Mueller's business what he was thinking. Yeah, well, I, I kind of, it's sort of like hate crimes. You know, I'll never forget the James Byrd ad in 2000. We're 85 days out of an election. And the ad was, it's like my father was killed all over again. There was a horrific, evil murder of this innocent man dragged to his death by a bunch of, of they're not even human beings. They're just animals. And, um, and George Bush, Bush supported as governor the death penalty, rightly so, for anybody that would do that to another fellow human being. And, you know, the big argument was left, but he didn't support the hate behind it and the hate crimes legislation. I'm like, well, he's giving him the death penalty. Is it, does it really matter? They killed an innocent person, and he's getting what he deserves, the death penalty. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, uh, that was, uh, he gave exa uh, the most exacting type of justice, and you still have people that are criticizing. Obviously, we know with this president, President Trump, I mean, he could walk across the Potomac and the media headlines would be that Trump can't swim. So that's just the world that we find ourselves in right now. Well, you're looking into the uh, or leading the criminal referral to the Justice Department as it relates to these individuals, Comey, McCabe, Clinton, Strzok and others. What does that mean? And I'm going back to an article that was written back in April. What does that mean? Well, it means... The same thing that means when the inspector general referred McCabe for the false statement, the Justice Department is supposed to take it, vet it, and then either proceed with, with charges or explain to us why they're not going to do it. To this point, we've gotten zero response from the Justice Department. You know, I heard reports that uh, the Justice Department, some of the top people weren't happy that we did that. 
because they think it put them on the spot. But at the end of the day, Sean, I mean, you know, we can't just keep running in circles here. I mean, we need accountability. And so we didn't do it willy-nilly. We laid out the different facts of, of the, the cases. And, um, you know, there's probable cause to think that, that these folks violated the law. And, and they shouldn't be given a pass just because they were in powerful positions. No, I agree. All right, we're 85 days out of the election. I think the most important midterm, and you're running for governor, uh, the biggest risk I see is the House for Republicans um, and that's not going to be good for America if the Democrats win and Nancy Pelosi gets back to gavel. How do you view your race and how do you view the Republican House race? Well, my race and governor, our Republican primary is August 28th. Early voting is starting in some places in Florida. Obviously, you have mail-in ballots. We're really strong. We've got a lot of momentum. I definitely got a Hannity bounce from when, uh, when you came down, Sean, and we, we lit it up on the west coast of Florida. So we're really, really strong. And obviously, in November, Florida's doing a lot of things right. We're going in the right direction. We need to build off that, uh, build off the success Governor Scott has had, um, and take it to the next level. The Democrats, obviously, they want to do liberal tax and spend policies, which have failed in other parts of the country. So that's going to be the choice in Florida. And look, I think the choice is going to be somewhat similar throughout the rest of the country. The fact of the matter is, you know, we're going in the right direction economically. We're doing much better in terms of national security than we were under Obama. Do you really want to give Nancy Pelosi another chance, given how disastrous her four years as speaker were from 2006 to 2010? Makes no sense to go backwards when we have a chance to continue going forward. All right, Ron DeSantis, Florida congressman, running now for governor, and uh, we would love to see you in that position. Love to see Rick Scott make it to the U.S. Senate also. He's a great guy. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number if you want to be a part of the program. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. A lot of these folks, they, they're well-intentioned. Uh, you know, they, they care about their country. I totally understand that. They really like this president. But they'll ask me, well, why don't you report the good things that he does? Well, I said, you know, listen, we just talked about the jobs numbers last Friday. He had good jobs numbers last Friday. We, and they say, oh, okay. And it, they'll say, well, do you like the president? And I'll say, well, that's not really relevant, uh, whether I like the president or not. I don't have to like the president of the United States. He doesn't have to like me. We all have jobs to do. Uh, and as you talk to these folks, they sort of calm down. But my sense of it, Stephen, is is that a lot of these folks, they get their impressions of what we do by watching other conservative outlets. They look at other conservative websites. And these folks are focused on the coverage of the president's behavior more so than they are the president's behavior. And to me, you know, I think that the president's behavior is, is more newsworthy than our coverage. Uh, but a lot of these folks out there, they're getting uh, their, their sense of what we do twisted and warped by some people out there who just want to do the president's bidding. Do you worry that the president points at y'all so much and that there's a natural need to respond as a human being that you end up being the story when that's not really the goal of, of your journalism? Right. And we're not supposed to be the story. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's not why I'm out there. Um, you know, I get accused of that from time to time. And, and my attitude is, listen, I'm, I'm allowed to care about this country just as much as anybody else. Uh, we are asking people what they would do if President Trump were to show up at this march. Some of the answers have been pretty stunning. Uh, here they are. What would you do if Donald Trump showed up at the Trump? Murder him? Murder him for the people? How about you, man? Man, I'll tell Trump to get on the, f on the floor and scrub those toilets himself. Because he doesn't know how to f clean. He needs to learn. He needs to learn how to clean? Scrub some toilets? Yeah. I mean, yo, he's America's Caesar except he's a f So, 
take him down. Trump! 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 If it came down to it and it was a group effort, we'd have to do him like Gaddafi. Like Gaddafi? Yeah. What would you do if Donald Trump showed up? Yeah, no, I'm going to wild out. I'm You'd wild out? Yeah. Yeah? I'm You'd him up? Yeah. To be honest, right. if I get a tattoo, I, I would do that. What's that? If I get a tattoo, him up, I would. You would, yeah. yeah. How about you? What would you do? I would just, I'd smack him. Smack him? Yes. Yeah. I would smack the out of him, son. That? Like, for real. Yeah. All right. How about you, sir? I'd smack him, too. But it'd be like a pimp slap. Like, pimp slap? Not a pimp slap. If the president showed up this March, what would you do, sir? Beat his ass. Beat his ass? If Trump showed up today, what would you do, sir? I'd throw a bell at him. You'd throw a bell at him? Yeah, why not? All right. What would you say? Tell him the off. <laughs> All right. What, what's that shirt say? Trump is a off. Yeah, yeah, I'd piss on his leg. What's that? I'd piss on his leg. I would tell his wife to go home and for him to get on his jet and get the out of here too. Get the out of here? Yeah. And Melania to get out of here too? Yeah, because you know, he he, uh, he hates everybody, but he forgets his wife is uh, a immigrant too. Um, I wouldn't say anything, because if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. All right, you heard the chanting. You saw the scenes uh, pretty much all, all weekend. Hey, hey, ho, ho, no no border, no wall, no USA at all. Oh, so that's what the radical left wing wants as they took to the streets this weekend. Now, I know this was supposed to be a bunch of white, racist, nationalist supremacists, and I think about, what, 30 of them showed up, and the counter-protests were massive, and... You know, there's a couple of things we need to glean from that. One is this election season. Now we're just uh, 85 days out of the election. You've got to remember that the the predictable playbook, Republicans are racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. They want dirty air water. They want to kill the children and throw granny over the cliff. Speech is bull. There's no conservative that supports these radical, racist, clan-sympathizing morons. Nobody. There's, 20, there's 30 of them that show up, and the media hypes it, and hi that's after it's hyped to death. And they do broad outreach. That's all they can get. And the majority of people that are Americans understand we are one country, we are one family, and that we're all created by one God, and that we're all the same, created equally. That's how most people think. The vast, overwhelming majority of people think. Now, if you listen and watch the violent rhetoric, this, this is the violent left in America today. This is a real, you've seen their actions before. We've seen Occupy Wall Street. We've seen what's happened at these events in Seattle over the years and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's scary. Matter of fact, it's very scary. So you got no border, no wall, no USA at all. Anyway, joining us to weigh in is RNC spokesperson Kaylee McEnany is with us, author of The American Revolution, and Jeff Lord, who wrote the best-selling book on President Trump. Uh, welcome both of you back to the uh, program. Thanks for being with us. Hello, Thanks, Sean and Kaylee. So no, uh, no borders, no wall, no USA at all. Uh, how are we to interpret that, Kaylee McEnany? Yeah, this is, has always been the left's ulterior motive. You know, the left, they might not have articulated it previously, but that has always been their motive. Open borders, a society where we are one globalist country or economy, uh, and beyond that, they had a dream towards socialism as well. But now they're just finally articulating what we knew they were after all along. 
a socialist society, a society of open borders, a lawless society where the laws passed by Congress are essentially meaningless. This is what they've been going after. Now they're just saying it, uh, but it's incredible. They're completely out of step with the American people in doing so. What does your take as you were watching it this weekend? And, and i got to be honest, I'm glad that there's only 30 of those morons. I'd always thought there was a lot more. Yeah, well, first of all, Sean, uh, I have never accepted the notion that these people are, quote-unquote, conservatives. They're not. They're leftists. I mean, when you actually read what they, what they stand for, there isn't a conservative thing there. This is no one that you and I agree with philosophical or Kaylee. I mean, they're just, they're just totally out of the loop. And if Donald Trump's slogan is Make America Great Again, their slogan is Make America Venezuela. Uh, I heard today that Michael Moore had tweeted out in 2013, I think it was, uh, praise for Hugo Chavez and directing, taking over the oil industry in Venezuela. And uh, he was going to give the money to the people and all this sort of thing. Well, here we are five years later, and uh, Venezuelans are eating their dogs and all of this sort of thing. I mean, this is the path these people want to go down. They're economic illiterates, and they hate America. I mean, it's pretty clear. Um, look, I, I don't know what their political philosophy is. I just don't like racists, and I don't like bigots. Right. And I also, as a conservative, resent that there is this narrative that goes on constantly every two and four years. I run through the history of it. You can go back to 98 in Missouri, DNC, radio ad. If you elect Republicans, you know, black churches are going to burn. Uh, then you got the 2000 James Byrd ad. Then you got people like Al Gore going before predominantly African-American audiences. They don't even want to count you in the census. And this happens every single solitary election cycle. And this is the narrative that I'm hearing from so-called pundits, Kaylee, about what it means to be a conservative or what it means to be a Republican, and it is just a lie. It's an outright lie, and they say this every single election cycle. You're right to note that. You know, we are the party that ended slavery. We are the party that ended Jim Crow laws. We are the party that has constantly stood for equality, and I bring it to a religious perspective, too, equality before God. This is what our party stands for. We reject bigotry. We reject hate. The president has said so many, many, many times. But it won't stop the media from falsely tying our party to these hatred, vitriolic ideas that have no place in society. And and I have to ask, why give this a platform? The media is constantly giving a platform to these awful, hateful tweets from, from guys like David Duke. Why give it a platform? End it now. No one stands for this. Don't give it a platform on any TV screen or any radio station across the nation. Sean, a number of years ago, I I wrote a piece. I I sat down and really made a study of this and wrote it up for the American Spectator, and the Wall Street Journal ran it as well. I read every political platform that the Democratic Party had put out since they started writing platforms in 1840. Six of them supported slavery on the record. Another 20 supported segregation outright, or they were quiet about it. Now they're into identity politics. And my argument is, it's all part and parcel of the same thing. They're all always obsessed with a sort of culture of of racial obsession. This is what they do, and this is why you get these situations that you've just been talking about, and why you get this, what, what, what Kaylee's talking about, is that they are accusing us of doing what they, in fact, are well on the record doing and they they have yet i used to ask on cnn when will the democratic party get around to apologizing for those six platforms supporting slavery i never got an answer (laughs) you know look we can go back historically but we also have to look at i think something that is a modern day metric and this is the reality and there was a reason in 2016 i made a decision every radio and tv show i'm going to throw out my statistics which were the reality 
of the disastrous policies of Barack Obama. Those disproportionately impacted negatively were minorities in this country. We see those that are benefiting the most under the policies of Donald Trump are, let's see, lowest record lows, unemployment for African-Americans, for Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans. 14 states have record low unemployment now. And, you know, there is there's proof in the pudding that policies work, that people's lives are better and that there is a, a government philosophy that is destructive to the human soul and experience, and it's not conservatism, Kaylee. That's exactly right. And, you know, look at the actions of this president. You noted, you know, historically low unemployment for African-American and Hispanic men and women. You know, look at the fact that in the first 30 days of him being in office, he signed an executive order to support HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, who got prison reform. Everything he is doing is bettering the lives of, of minority communities and all Americans generally. And you look at the Obama years, and it's a much different story. It's a story of the Ferguson effect, where police started to retract themselves from doing what they need to be able to do to keep our communities safe. And then you saw the violence in Chicago on the rise. It is the opposite story under this president. His actions are actions that are benefiting all Americans. Let me ask you both. We'll start with you, Jeff, on uh, what you think about uh, the issue involving the Amarosa tapes and her interview and her book that has come out. You know, Sean, every, maybe not every White House, but a lot of White Houses, this happened in the Reagan era, has somebody on the White House staff who thinks that they're more important than the president. The reason there's only one person that counts in the White House, and that's the president, is because the president was elected by the American people. Amarosa was, is a staff member. And I, and I frankly think, while it's good to have different kinds of people in there with different backgrounds, I thought it was a mistake. I don't know her. But she seemed to me to be, the word I heard today was mercurial, and, and certainly that it's all about her. It's not all about her. And this is a despicable thing to do to somebody who tried to help her, as President Trump did professionally in her career. And I, I just think, you know, this book will sink like a stone, and so will she eventually. All right, we'll take a break. We'll get back. We'll get Kaylee's take on uh, that. We'll get to your phone calls at the bottom of this half hour. All right, as we continue with RNC spokesperson, uh, Kaylee McEnany is with us. Jeff Lord is also with us. We were talking about Amarosa when we took a break. Uh, what's your take, uh, Kaylee? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. You know, we tend to inject partisan politics into stories. You'll have the Obama, you know, admin come out one come out one way and Republicans come out the other. But on this, you've heard essentially universal criticism. And I mean, when you have a former Obama spokesperson for the NSC saying, I have never heard of a more serious breach of protocol than Omarosa's actions in taping uh, General Kelly. I've never heard of this. It's unprecedented. It's true. It's something that we all can look at and say, this is, takes such dishonesty. Uh, this takes a lack of complete integrity to tape the person who is sitting there listing off all of the things that you did previously that lacked integrity, like using and misusing White House cars. It's incredible. It's incredible that she sunk to this low and she has ruined any sort of shred of credibility that she had left with this. You know, I, I'm wondering on the book publisher side of this, Jeff, because I know having written three books and having been and, and having interviewed so many authors over my career, you know, Frank Luntz immediately comes out and says what she writes about me on page 149 is not true. Uh, you have Katrina Pearson coming out. You have others coming out saying it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. And I'm just wondering, you know, how the book publisher didn't do any vetting in this era of lawsuits. To me, yeah. I mean, that, I was kind of shocked by that. 
That that is an excellent question. I, I mean, you know, I'm writing a book this minute, and and I personally am making sure that you know if I have any question about something that I have researched what I'm putting in there and that I have a site for it and I know exactly what the truth is, something like this. Now, that's just me as the writer. The editor of the, at the publishing house should be doing this. And the fact that she didn't even, she, Amoroso, didn't even contact Frank Luntz about this uh, is mind-boggling to me, and that does not bode well. You know, somebody wrote a book about George W. in the 2000 campaign, and it was so filled with errors they withdrew the book. Yeah, look, I mean, I I just know from a legal standpoint that these publishing houses are scared to death that they're going to get sued. And yeah. uh, that kind of surprised me because there were a number of people that said, uh, no, never said it. Sorry, didn't happen. And I guess she gave an interview with NPR and it contradicted her book. And now she's saying, well, I heard the tape after that he uses this word. You know, we've heard this in the case of the Clintons before. People that worked around them, the exact same charge was made. Um, I know back in the day, and uh, we even had a tape of Roger Clinton actually using that word. Um, but again, the media, I guess, has one agenda. But i got to let you both go. Kaylee McEnany, thank you. And uh, Jeff Lord, thank you. 800-941-SEAN. Wide open phones when we get back. Straight ahead. I think it's important to understand that if we make this a friendly departure, um, we can all be, you know, you can look at, look at your time here in, in uh, the White House as a year of service to the nation. Uh, and then you can go on without any type of uh, difficulty in the future relative to your reputation. Can I a, ask you a couple of questions? Uh, Does the president, is the president aware of what's uh, going on? Don't, let's not go down the road. This is a non-negotiable discussion. I don't want to negotiate. I just, I've never talked, had a chance to talk to you, General Kelly. Yeah, so but, if this is my departure, I'd like to have at least an opportunity no, uh, to understand. We can, we can talk another time. This has to do with some pretty serious viola- integrity violations. Um, so I'll let it go with that. So uh, the, the staff and everyone on the staff works for me, not the president. General Kelly, General Kelly came to me and said that you guys wanted me to leave. No, I, I, nobody even told me about it. Nobody, wow. You know, they run a big operation, but I didn't know it. I didn't know that. Uh, Damn it. I don't love you leaving at all. All right, that was, of course, one of the many tapes. I guess there are going to even be more tapes, you know, coming out. Who, how is it possible all these tapes are taking place inside the White House. It's something we better get to the bottom of and the Situation Room. And, um, you know, I, it's the, the whole thing is just bizarre. You know, I knew Amorosa. She's been on this radio program. She's been on TV, TV with us. Uh, always thought well of her. Never had any issues with her. I don't know what Kelly means when he talks about integrity violations. I don't know that. Um, it seems a little bit... You know, the whole thing is just so quickly. We heard about a book and a book is out. Then these tapes come out. And in many ways, um, it almost is becoming like a reality. It seems like reality TV. And I I watched Amorosa when she was on whatever that other most recent reality show that she was on. And she started saying some things that she didn't like Donald Trump or whatever. And I don't know what to say. I mean, when Frank Luntz and Sean Spicer and... You know, Katrina Pearson and all these other people come out and contradict her. I I don't know what to think or say, except that I'm looking at this purely from a how is this possible? These tape phone calls 
are happening to the extent they're happening. Anyway, let's get to our busy phones. A lot to get to today. Uh, let's say hi to Patty is in Minnesota. Patty, hi, how are you? We're glad you called. It's the uh, Sean Hannity Show. Hi, Sean. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Welcome aboard. Glad you checked in. Thank you. I'm calling because I'm an election judge in Minnesota. I don't know that I want to say exactly where, but close to Minneapolis. And um, I'm going through training. It's my first year as an election judge for, uh, for in Minnesota. And while I was going through my first round of training, I said, now um, I'm working from 6 in the morning until close, and let's say somebody comes in at 7.30 in the morning, and they vote. Uh, I get their name and address at about 5.30, 6 o'clock or later in the evening. They show back up. I recognize them from the morning, and they have a different name and address. Do I challenge that or let them vote? And I was told, let them vote. I said, are you kidding me? And they said, no, you have to let them vote. And I said, but I recognize them. They said, it doesn't matter. Well, I went back for my second round of training and recognized the head of the Republican Party in my district, and I'm a Republican delegate. And I told him about it. He said, that's a gross misdemeanor. And he confronted the two uh, ladies that were training the class. They didn't say a word. They said absolutely nothing. But that's what's getting told in Minnesota. And the head uh, lady said, uh, there isn't any election fraud. We hardly have any election fraud anywhere in the United States, especially in the Twin City area. And I thought, where do you live? You know, look, do, do I think that there's some level of voter fraud that takes place in the country? Absolutely. I mean, you, you now have Democrats openly registering illegal immigrants. That's going to be even more problematic, I think, down the line. Uh, I think we've got to take the protections that previous presidents didn't take, even though they were warned about outside influence in terms of our elections. I think the American government better get a hold of, and I've been saying this for a long time, they better get a hold of the fact that all of these bad actors and hostile nations are, are seemingly hacking us left and right. And you know what? We've known about it for 35 years, and we don't fix it. At some point, it becomes our problem and our mistake, and we're to blame because we didn't step up to the challenge. Exactly. Sean, not only that, they started talking about uh, proper wear of people coming and voting. There was just a case out of Minnesota that was challenged all the way up, I believe, to the Supreme Court, and not just here. I believe it went all the way to the Supreme Court in D.C. that um, somebody had come in uh, to vote, and they had a a political T-shirt on, and they weren't allowed to vote, and that was challenged, and it was overturned. That You can wear whatever you want to to go to vote. I can't wear whatever I want to as an election judge. Um, All right. I appreciate the call, Patty. Thanks for the update. Uh, Let's go to Chris's in Idaho. Chris, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Thank you. Thank you. I'm um, a longtime listener, first-time caller. Thank you for taking my call. Well, you're uh, very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. And, um, you know, the other day I'm calling um, a little bit of different subject is um, the other day I listened to your interview with Eric Bowling. And, and I'd love to be put in touch with Eric Bowling. And um, we've lost two sons with um, an opioid um, addiction. And they were incredible um, producing um, individuals with, that were successful in business. And both of the opioid addictions started from um, um, medical problems. One of our youngest son was a Division I football player. And, of course, he had a lot of injuries. And um, it it just is, what we've done.
everyone is a family, I guess. So he got mm-hmm. injured. The doctors gave him pain pills, and uh, he becomes uh, addicted. Uh, let me tell you a little dirty secret about the NFL. Nobody wants to tell you. Uh, these guys who are brutalizing their bodies every weekend for our entertainment, and I, I like I'm, now I'm more into college football. I've had it with the NFL. But these guys, literally, they're getting shots of these super anti-inflammatories. Then they're getting pain pills, you know, before the game and at halftime. And then when their short careers are over, average career three years, three and a half years or less, uh, then they find themselves addicted. It's happening a lot. You know, I, I have somebody close to me in my life that's getting wisdom teeth pulled. And the first thing I said to them is don't take a pain pill. And they look at me like I'm nuts. And I'm like, well, I had, I had permanent teeth filled and it was like, go home and sleep it off. And I'm not saying everyone has different pain thresholds. I'm not being unsympathetic in any way. But if you can avoid those things, avoid them. Stay away from them. And if you're going to take them, you know, have the doctor give you, you know, eight pills, four for day one, four for day two, and none on day three. That's it. It's insidious. Listen, I I just know too many people, doctors, lawyers, smart people, they get hooked easy. Yeah, it's so easy. And I guess what we're doing is trying to make our mess, our message, and to help others. We're on the governor's. Um, committee against opioid abuse here in, in Idaho, and they're doing set, they're doing good stuff here. I, they they really are. There's so much more to do. It's it, we're so limited, so so to speak. But I'm so impressed with what they're trying to do. I'm so impressed. But um, anyway, yes, we would love to get in touch with Eric Bowling and give him our love and and know that. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'm going to put you on hold. I'll look. He's doing great things. I mean, it's so sad and it's sadly so common. You know, another reason why our borders need to be secure. A lot of the drugs are coming up through our southern border. We're not doing anything to stop it. They are literally these cartels are targeting small towns and big cities. They know where the weaknesses are and they're exploiting them. And they know the level of addiction and, uh, you know, these are our kids. We got to save them. That's it. Uh, I'll put you on hold. We'll get you. A, we'll get your message to Eric. And uh, I know he's reached out to a lot of people and is helping a lot of people now in his life. Uh, I'm sorry about what happened to you. It is sad. It is. You know, we're at the point where we better start monitoring how many pills, how many people, and get a hold of, of this. You know, I remember Pam Bondi made a big deal about these drug mills down in Florida, where literally you go in. You, you see a doctor for five minutes, five seconds. He says, what drugs do you want? You write the drug. You go right in the same place and you get the drugs. It's ridiculous. And there's large, massive quantities. And some people do it to sell it, make money, and other people do it because they're addicted. Uh, Fred in California. Fred, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Hey, Sean. Thanks a lot. I heard your interview with Jack from Twitter, but there's a huge other issue. Twitter deletes MAGA retweets, and I've got all the proof and copies. I'm a big Trump supporter, big MAGA account, and I have an app that shows all my deleted retweets. Well, I'll tell you right now, the one thing that Jack did give us was an opening. I have a means of communicating with him. I'll put you on hold, give us your evidence, and I swear I'll forward it right over to him. He said he wants to hear uh, about all of this. And the thing that I liked about him is he is very open with the fact that he has every intention of making sure that that he gets to the bottom of it. He admits that they haven't been perfect. They've made mistakes, but they want to get it right. And 
You know, I, I don't well, see the I don't see the CEO of Facebook doing interviews or Instagram yeah, well, or any they, of these other places. It, yeah, if there were threats or profanity in, in my tweets or anybody else's, I completely get it. But here they target the account. My my Twitter handle is Anthem Respect, and on my timeline, I've got all the proof. I've got copies of all the deleted retweets. They just go boom, 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 boom. I did one on uh, on Major League Baseball standing for the anthem uh, in comparison to NFL a couple days ago. Bam, they hammered it, knocked out about 30% of my retweets. Wow. All right. Stay on hold. We'll uh, let Linda pick it up from there. Uh, let's say hi to Minister Keith in Los Angeles. Hey, Minister Keith, how are you? Glad you called. Thank you for your, taking my call, and I wanted to appreciate the God fight in you. Sean, I really want you to encourage the president, if you can, to all he has to do in regard to the situation in Chicago is issue a state of the emergency, deploy the National Guard, put a curfew out for 10-year-olds up to 30-year-olds from 5 at night, 5 p.m. to 6 in the morning, and the killing will stop overnight. Plus, regardless of all the haters out there, he will get the support of the Afro-American community. But somebody has to take a stand because instead of them instead of them calling the National Guard, they're hiring more Chicago police, which is irrelevant. Look, they still had about half of what they had last weekend in terms of shootings. I think, I think they had 20 on Friday, for crying out loud, and they didn't have the death ratio that they had last weekend. But, you know... Uh, you can't tell me because I've lived it in New York and I've watched them fix these things. I've watched New York go from nearly 2,500 a year to like 400 a year in terms of murders. Others, you know, the shootings were out of control. And the way it was done was by aggressive policing. Mayor Giuliani at the time was called a racist. Mayor Giuliani at the time uh, took a lot of heat, was sued, had every newspaper in New York against him. He took it to court. He fought. He sent the cops to the areas where the highest concentration of of criminal activity was taking place. He didn't base it on race. He based it on crime statistics. Where is the crime happening? And as a result, precious lives are saved. And it's saved because we, we have an obligation, you know, to protect in this case and serve. There are tactics that are proven to be winners. Stop and frisk is one of them. You know, if it's late at night and you got a bunch of people walking down the street, whatever, if they if the cops had any suspicion whatsoever, they had the ability to frisk them. And it took a lot of guns off the street. Now, you might be saying, well, Hannity, I thought you were a Second Amendment guy. I am. Legal guns, yes. And permits. Yeah, I believe it. And I think that, you know, we owe it to our children that they don't they can sit on their the stoops of their house or, or sit on the outside under a tree and not get shot at. And it's happening. We know where it's happening. It's the same parts of Chicago every weekend. And we're not defending our fellow citizens. Defend the citizens. Defend our precious treasure. Let, we don't need 70 people shot every weekend. Now, for the president, I hope he does go to Chicago. State representatives have been asking him to go to Chicago. Others have been asking him to go to Chicago. I think I hope he goes. And I hope that a coalition can be put together so that we save the lives of of those people that are innocent victims in all of this. You know, you can't you cannot let violence get that far out of control. And Rahm Emanuel say, well, the citizens have to protect themselves. No, that's what a police force is for. 
And if they don't have enough resources, then they need to reach out, get the help that is needed, and get the situation under control. And then lives are going to be saved. It worked in New York. It'll work in Chicago. All right, a lot of news tonight on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. We will have breaking news tonight as it relates to Deep State Gate. Also, all the tape threatening the president of the United States this weekend. Uh, Oh, yeah, the media ignores all of that. Uh, We'll get to that. The latest on Omarosa and uh, what is now blowing up a book tour. I've never seen anything implode like this really in a long time. That's all coming up tonight. Hannity, 9 Eastern, Fox News. Hope you'll join us. And we'll see you tonight at 9, back here tomorrow. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.